Julie at Dogcast Radio. If you like dogs, wherever you are in the world, we're the show for you. Hello and welcome to episode 261 of Dogcast Radio. Our online home is dogcastradio.com. Today is all about what your dog would want you to know. I read a great, thought-provoking post on Facebook on this subject and immediately wanted to interview the trainer who'd written it and share that information with you. So without further ado, here we go. I'm talking today to Helen St-Pierre. Hi, Helen. Hello. So good to be here. Lovely to have you. And you you own and run No Monkey Business Dog Training. I love that name. <laughs> Thank you. It is... Uh... A name that came from directly from my heart. Let's just put it that way of uh, of my very British upbringing uh, from my grandfather. Yes, yeah, it is an English expression, isn't it? Stop that monkey business, you know. And yes, but it's it struck me. There's so many levels you can take that on. No monkey business, no messing about. But it could be sort of you know we'll get this right, and also you know seeing humans as monkeys that you've got to get the the human end of the lead right. And it's there's so many levels. I love it. Yeah, we as humans, you know, we forget, especially in our day-to-day society, in our very comfort lives, that we are just a product of evolution and um, as well, just as much as our dogs are a product of, you know, selected uh, breeding and domestication. And there are still some innate genetic behaviors in there from primates (laughs) that we have a very hard time parting with. So uh, I think I completely agree with you. It's a good thing to remind people. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. I loved your Facebook post about a lot of dogs want you to know this. Um, I mean, right from the start, you know, a lot of dogs want you to know this. You're aware that maybe a lot of dogs, you know, might disagree with one or two of the points or a lot of owners might be doing this already. So I I just love it. I loved everything about it. So let's jump in at what I think is really, you know, the, the crux of the matter for me, that instead of a human wanting something from them, they would love, the dog would love a human wanting to understand them better. And that, surely that's the crux of it, isn't it? Yes, I I think... One of my the, the one of the most important things I do as um, you know, I hate I really honestly don't even like using the word as a dog trainer because I don't feel at this point that I do a lot of dog training. I do a lot of coaching and consulting. But one of my jobs is to help the humans in the relationship understand the animal in front of them. Um, and some of the the expectations and needs that we ask for from our dogs, are really strictly projected only onto dogs as a species. And yes. I still don't understand why that is. I mean, I live in a home with cats and parrots and tortoises and bearded dragons and chickens and pigs and and a horse and, you know, soon to be goats. And I don't expect any of the behaviors that I, even, even as a professional, consider and expect from my dogs in mm-hmm. terms of tolerance and behavior and mannerisms. And so I think something that we as a society really need to get better at doing is understanding our dogs for the animals that they are and their actual acute needs and desires, not just ours. Yeah, yeah. I couldn't agree more. I love the sound of your house. That that sounds perfect to me, so many animals. <laughs> it. It's a zoo. It's like the I, I watched the movie We Bought a Zoo the yes. other day with Damon, and my husband was like, why are we watching this? This is our house. I was like, we don't have a lion. And he was like, give us five years, honey. Yes. We'll probably have a lion and a giraffe. So... Yes. Uh, but yes, we have our we have our own little 
our own little zoo here. And and the reason that I have it like that, you know, a lot of people are like, oh, you're crazy. You have so many animals. But that's how I feel the most connected to the world is through animals. My relationship with my animals is very humbling and a reminder constantly that my wants and needs are not the most important. And I think in many societies, uh, our modernized, modern day societies, we've lost track of that. Yes. Yeah. I think you're absolutely right. I, I've told this story before that when Buddy was quite, quite young, he, my Labrador, he got onto the front seat of the car and, and I was on the driver's seat going, get down, get down. And he was like looking away from me. Now I took that as he's pretending I'm not here. I later learned that I might have been stressing him. Um, that's mm. one interpretation. And you know, it might have been that I was lucky with a Labrador that he was going, I'm just going to look away from you because you're stressing me. You know, that could have gone a number of different ways, but it just brought, when I learned that, it just brought home to me that I was stressing the dog. I adored because I didn't understand what he was saying to me. And that really opened for me the door to, I've got to find out, I've got to understand what he's saying to me more. And when you start down that journey, it's fascinating, isn't it? That you can learn what your dog is, is trying to communicate to you. Right. Or to the world or yes. what they need from from the world, what they need in, in, in their environment and in their daily lives to be happy, healthy creatures. I mean, we have this idea, and that was a, a big part of that post, that if we, you know, give dogs these beautiful beds or yes. we get the, the nicest collar or the, the prettiest embroidered tag, and if we give them all the vet care and all of that, that they'll be happy animals. And, you know, in in real life, you know, that, that stuff is great, but it's not, if you ask the dog, you know, would you rather have freedom to run and all of these things, or would you like a really nice collar and tag? Yeah. The dogs would say, I'd really just love freedom to dog a little bit. That's, that's what would fulfill me the best. Yeah. Yeah. And I find that quite heartbreaking that, mm-hmm. you know, for, for owners that can't afford, you know, we all have a budget, and if you feel that you can't afford to, to spend as much on your dog, you know, on, on the fripperies I'm talking about here, we all, you know, there's right. a base, basis that you've got to have the, the, the healthcare and that. But if you can't, you know, get those luxury items that from a human point of view are luxury, that the dog really doesn't give too much of a hoot about, you know, and people get really upset. And I think, you know, you can get a cardboard box or a blanket and hide treats in it and have so much fun with the dog and the dogs you know enjoying themselves you haven't had to spend a fortune and I think that's a really really important message to get out yes I completely agree um you know that and I remember this when I first gave birth to my 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 firstborn uh 12 years ago that the nurse was in there and I said you know we we, we I was I was young and I hadn't I you know we'd gotten the best we could with the money that we could for the cribs and all of that stuff and I was saying to the nurse um at the time you know I I'm worried that this crib isn't the prettiest crib or that. And she said, Helen, in the old days, you would put the baby in a drawer next to the bed in your chest of drawers. And, you know, that was where the baby would sleep for a lot of people or they'd sleep in the bed with you. You know, you're you're worrying about the wrong stuff. This baby is loved. This baby is cared for. She has all her needs met. It doesn't matter that it's not the most designer crib. Yeah. And it's the same thing with dogs. You know, I, some people will say to me, oh, I feel so guilty that I don't. I, I'm not able to, you know, my dog doesn't like going to parades or my dog doesn't want to play with other dogs. And I will say to them, you are meeting all of their other needs in so many ways. You're worrying about the wrong thing. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. 
let's one of the other things that I think is so so important that you mention is instead of basic obedience training mm. they would rather have purpose-driven so much in this sentence purpose-driven training that feeds their genetic makeup and needs and helps them survive and thrive in today's world now let's let's there's so much in that i love it let's look first that genetic makeup i i always think we need to look at what the dog was bred for you know we've we've chosen our those specific breeds those you know the dogs that we've bred and bred and bred to have traits and then we for example, you know, I, I, I'm, I love beagles, but I love all dogs. <laughs> but I've, I've been thinking about beagles recently. And you look at a beagle and then you think, oh, gosh, why do you want to sniff everything? Why do you put your head down and you're not listening to me? Kind of thing. But we really, really need to put the dog at the centre and look at their needs, don't we? Right. Well, you know, and I'm a licensed family dog mediator through um, that through Kim Brophy's, you know, meet your dog program, which is phenomenal. And, uh, you know, this is something that trainers have been um, talking about for a very, very long time. But, you know, for, oh, selective breeding started 9000 years ago and we started breeding when we did this. We bred for purpose. These dogs were selectively bred. We bred we bred artificial behaviors against natural behaviors to create dogs that did things specifically for our purpose, right? And when mm -hmm. we did that, we were really modifying something known as the predatory sequence. And, and what happened as we started to do that is obviously aesthetics started to change the way that the dog looked in order to be able to perform those duties changed. But, you know, all of those traits like you're talking about in a beagle were created for specific purpose. And what's happened over the last, you could argue 75 years, might be less than that, but around 75 years is that these purpose-bred dogs are now being brought into pet homes. And in pet homes, we have dogs that are genetically programmed over a long time um, through selective breeding to have these traits like sniffing everything. And we are trying to put a square peg in a round hole by teaching a beagle to sit and down and stay yeah. and not jump on our counter for a loaf of bread or not smell everything on a walk. And that is not purposeful training for that dog. That dog is not going to thrive under that. And as a result, we then are put labels on these dogs that they're stupid or they're stubborn or, you know, they need a firmer hand in training. But they're not supposed to be doing sit down stays. These dogs were supposed to be out in packs hunting. So we have to change our perspective on what, what training is, what it should look like for the dog and um, how we can help that dog thrive in a pet. And now their pet companion purpose home with genetic things that were bred for a different purpose. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. I was just thinking about, you know, our dogs, my Labrador, I've mentioned, my daughter had a dog, a Bichon Frise called Star. And the dearest little thing, toy, toy breed, you know, bred to be a companion. She, she had this remarkable terrier shake when she shook her toys. She did, you know, the terrier shake. Uh, yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yep. And, but also, I mean, she loved a cuddle and she would sit with us and have a cuddle and that. But at times, much more than the Labrador, she would go, I'm taking myself to the bedroom. I need some space. I want to sleep. I don't want interruptions. Thank you very much. I'm going. And again, I think it's worth mentioning that, you know, they, they do all have the, you know, the genetic makeup that's been put into them kind of thing, but you, they're going to have individual preferences as well. And that's absolutely. What, yeah. Yeah. 
And nature will do that, right? Because, you know, when you when you start closing gene pools and you start creating unnatural behaviors for, you know, whenever we mess around with nature, nature is going to do its best to throw in curveballs. So every dog is an individual. And do you have dogs that are the complete opposite of what they were supposed to be? You know, of course, absolutely. We see that all the time, but we can't deny the fact that human beings have also played a huge role in Mm -hmm. creating some of these certain behaviors. So yes, absolutely. Every dog is an individual, but there are also some blueprints that we can look at that might help guide us a little bit better. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. You have some great suggestions for how we can really, really simply, you know, enhance our dog's life and, and actually think about their needs. So instead of twice daily meals in a bowl, and this is so counterintuitive because for me, from my point of view, take me to the pizza place, sit me down, give me the pizza. <laughs> don't, don't take me to the pizza place and then say, sit and do an exam to earn the pizza because I'm going <laughs> to. I'm going to have words with you. Do you know what I mean? So from a human point of view, certainly from my point of view, just give me the food. But for our dogs, you know, they would rather have food through enrichment activities that stimulates their brain and their nose. They they actually enjoy sort of working for food, don't they? Well, I mean, if we go back to what you just said about the pizza place, right? (laughs) Yeah. We as natural human beings, we go back to our primate days and that we're hunters and gatherers. So yet you want to go out and be able to order a pizza. But if you think about the process of that, you get to search for the restaurant and decide which restaurant you're going to. You get to go to that place. You get to then look at a menu and decide what you're going to have. You then get to decide how you're going to eat it with your hands, your knife and fork, you know, all of those things. Mm. There's still a lot of choice and and searching and the very, you know, the modernized hunter gatherer, even when we go to the grocery store, Mm. but our dogs don't get that. They get this, usually the same type of food in a dish twice a day. Um, with very little choice, very little enrichment or anything like that built into it. So the idea that, you know, we don't have to work for our food, but we actually do. We yes, work, right. we still work for our food. It's just in a different context. But I, I completely agree with what you're saying. <laughs> I don't want to sit down and take an exam either. Um, but um, our dogs need, they need purpose in their lives. And when we create well, the main purpose that we have created for a lot of our dogs at this point is companionship. Your job is to keep me company. Your job is to be there for me and meet my needs. And that unfortunately does not fit a lot of dogs' roles. They need purpose and purpose through working for their food. It may not be the same, you know, I have an Australian cattle dog. Do I have cattle for her to be herding every day? No, but I can certainly give her another purpose. It may not be the same, but I can still give her a purpose in saying, well, let's have you work for your food throughout the day. Let's play these kind of scent games so that you don't feel that you're just sitting and waiting for me to interact with you. Let's give you a purpose. And so that's where it really boils down to is giving these dogs some form of an outlet that feeds their brain and their nose. Yeah, absolutely. Hey, Helen, it sounds like a good excuse to have a flock of sheep there. Herd of sheep? I know. Don't even get me started. I am getting goats in the spring. Um, and I do have ducklings as well coming. Oh, so wow. I could yeah. do some herding with some ducklings and some yes. goats. I'm sure my neighbors will love that. 
<laughs> oh, I like your house so much. I just, oh, <laughs> wonderful, wonderful. We had ducks. We never we never uh, let the dogs interact with them at the time, but we did have uh, Indian runner ducks and they were gorgeous. So you're going to have fun with your ducks. Wonderful. Now, mainly, no, that's not fair. Some dogs, you know, they get a 15 minute quick drag around the block, a bit of a sniff if they're lucky and back to the house, lie down, shut up, be good kind of thing. What's the alternative to, you have a brilliant alternative to that like quick, you know, 15 minutes around the block. What's the alternative to that? Well, walks for dogs, again, in our society, in our modern day society, I don't know why, where and how this developed. I'd actually love to do more research on that if I had time. But walks and feeding our dogs in a dish have somehow become the staple of what a good pet you know, handler or owner or guardian, whatever it is you want to call them, um, is, right? If you're feeding your dog a good balanced meal and you're giving them vet care and you're walking them twice a day. And, you know, I can tell you, I don't walk my dogs. My dogs do not get walks in that capacity. Mm. Um, you know, ideally a place that it a fenced in yard, even if you make shift one yourself, there are so many cool products out there now for these temporary fences. You know, people think that they have to install a $30,000 fence in order to get, um, you know, that kind of freedom for the dog. And it's actually not true at all. The dog doesn't need that. What the dog does need is a space to just go dig and dog. And yes. a walk doesn't allow them that affordance. You know, the the problem with a walk is that it feels very controlled. It's on a, usually on a short leash. And when the dog is on a short leash and we're walking them, we have expectations of behavior for some reason on that, right? You're not going to walk beside me. I can't have the neighbor seeing you pulling me everywhere. They'll think that you're not trained. And it, it, it turns from a relaxing form of brain nourishment for the dog into this expectation and a reflection that many pet owners think, you know, this, the dog not doing well on this walk is a reflection of me. So I would rather fenced in yards and long line walks. You know, I'm a huge fan of telling my clients, find a class six road out here in, in um, New Hampshire or in America. We have roads that are deemed as certain classes where uh, cars can't drive. They're usually like these big dirt roads or trails type mm. of thing. And go drive there, park your car, get out and go on a 20-minute walk with your dog on a 30-foot line and let them zigzag and smell and check their P-mail <laughs> and yes. read their social media, you know? And that's what I think walks should be turned into mentally for society. Yeah, yeah. I think it's a brilliant... I, I love the uh, the idea of P-mail. <laughs> They yeah, they got to check yes. their female. <laughs> yeah, and and we forget that at our peril because you know it's their instinct to to smell and to sniff, and to us it's like, oh come on, you've sniffed enough. What exactly, are, you know. But it's it's like saying, come on, you've been on Facebook long enough, get off and do something worthwhile. But and have you ever felt had someone do that to you and you just feel so irritated? Yes. You yeah. know, if I'm in the middle of writing an email and my husband goes, oh, you've been staring that all day, get off the. And there's an irritant part where it's like, well, I'm not, but I'm not done. Yes. And what we don't realize is dogs are such forgiving, adaptable creatures that they do forgive us for yes. that stuff. But it builds up over time in their quality of life, right? Because yeah. it's like I'm living with this this other species that doesn't want me to be my species. Yes. And that's not fun. No, no, absolutely. And I think the thing is, they are so good at fitting in with us and at, and yes. reading us and they watch us and they learn 
you know, our, our habits and our likes and dislikes. And they're so good at that, that we kind of forget they are dogs. We think of them as furry people. And to be a dog is a wonderful thing, but they are a dog. Right. And I think that's, you're completely right. You know, nobody has ever called me in tears because their cat didn't want a bath or because when they took their parrot to the vet, it tried to bite the vet. I mean, everyone's just like, well, it's a parrot or it's a cat. But, you know, I get hysterical calls. I tried to give him a bath and he didn't like it. And he growled at me. And it's like, well, he's still a dog. He does Just because he is a dog doesn't mean that he is automatically programmed to be okay with all of these things. And that's that's where, again, that's that's where that post really has has boiled down to. And, and my work with animals has really tried is where I'm trying to change things. Yeah, yeah. You're doing a great job. There's, well, there's two more things that we haven't covered yet. Now, they're so important. I'd really like to cover them. Sure. Let's go with, because you, we can't bang this drum enough, in my opinion. Instead of harsh punishments and corrections, they'd prefer proactive management and rewards for good decisions. Oh, please, Helen, preach. <laughs> Well, you know, unfortunately, punishment training and punishment in terms of positive punishment with any species, whether that's with humans, whether that's with dogs, anything is highly reinforcing to the punisher, right? So if I punish an animal and the behavior that I wanted to stop stops, that's highly reinforcing to me. And we don't take enough accountability and, and we aren't cognizant enough of that. So, you know, But when I'm working with an animal, and when I say an animal, it doesn't just mean when I'm working with dogs. When I'm working with any animal, my goal with that animal is to help them make the best decisions possible by setting them up for success, helping the environment or the space or whatever I'm doing be helpful for them, and also ready to reinforce them heavily for good choices, because that's how I would learn best. Yes. I we've all been in a job we've i mean we've all can say or or know from from childhood we've either had teachers or or employers who have we've had employers who have threatened and you know been really unkind and negative and then we've had employers that have been incredibly positive and reward based and you look back and which is the one that you'd want to continue <laughs> working with and yeah. i don't know why that's still such an argument in the dog world because i'm not saying that there can't be consequences um i think consequences just like in raising children are actually important it's mm-hmm. important for my children to know when they've made a mistake um, just like sometimes I need to tell my dog, no, that's a mistake. Running towards the road is not something I want you to do. But I don't have to do that in a way that damages their emotional well-being yeah. um, or my relationship with them or hurts them in any physical or mental way. And, and you know, th- there's a huge divide in the training industry, unfortunately, on, on that. And I, I wish that it, at some point it would just go away. But um, I think as long as human beings are around, we, we are still always going to have that fallback in wanting to go to punishment because it's the easy way out. Yeah. And we have to recognize that sometimes the easy way out is not the best way. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think also the thing that one of the things I find hardest is, you know, I can be really patient and I can work, you know, in a training class or in a training session at home, you know, and I can bring all the things I've learned to bear and I can be patient and positive And, you know, that's great. But then when actually I want to sit and watch the television or, I, you know, I, I want to do something else or I need to do something else. And the dog is 
you know, from my perspective, being a pain, that's, <laughs> that's when I fall back to no. And you, oh, you go, oh, no, hang on. Right. I shouldn't. And, and all those, those human behaviors come out, you know, and that's when that's, I think it's when it's hard. It's like you said, set this situation up. So for example, one of the things that's easy is if the dog is jumping up on you and get trying to get your dinner, then sit up to the table, you know, that's, there are so many other things that you can control the environment and set the dog up so that we don't fall into these situations where we go to no don't you know and, and we fall into bad behaviors well it goes back to the expectations right i mean if i if i came to anybody or you even as a, as a new mother with a newly walking baby and said to you you know, when I'm trying to cook in the kitchen, all my baby is doing is opening my cabinets and pulling all of my, you know, Tupperware out. How do I punish them? You would say, you don't punish them, Helen. You just put them in a playpen or yes. a pack and play or something when you're doing that. And because that's just natural, normal baby behavior, right? Like nobody looks at that as a, you know, a naughty, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but for dogs, that's the first thing we go to because our expectations are that these animals should just somehow know. <laughs> yes. Because, you know, we, we, you know, oh, I'm eating a sandwich at the coffee table on the sofa that the dog should not try to come take it. Well, no, they don't. Yeah. So you proactively manage them. If I'm going to sit on the couch and eat a, eat a sandwich, I'm going to have to proactively manage by putting my dog in an XYZ space, yes. or I'm going to give him something else to do just the same way you would with a child. And we have no problem with that management when it comes to children, but with dogs, we still do because it's this expectation that they should just know. And it's not the case. Yeah. Yeah. No, absolutely. It's just that thought beforehand and I guess as well yes. it's, it's there's a lot of things that once someone's told you you go oh, that's so simple but until somebody's actually giving you that idea you know you don't know it you know you can only do as, as well as you can with what you right. know so you know but again it's it's on us to go and find that out isn't it to come to people like you and and find that out I know and sometimes it feels so simple you know, mm-hmm. like uh, someone will say to me, oh, I have this massive problem and it, I don't know how to do it. And I just say, well, just do this. And they say, well, I didn't know that, uh, you know, the, the one of the most the the comments I get all the time was I didn't know that that was uh, that's all I need to do. Yes. I don't need to do X, Y, Z. I don't need to put my dog through a six week training program. To do. I said, no, just put him behind a gate. Yeah. <laughs> you yeah. know, like they, he doesn't need obedience training person for this issue. You just need to put him behind a gate. Yeah. And they're like. Oh, well, that's easy. I I could do that. It's like, yes, you have my permission to manage the dog, you know, um, and that's that's a, a nice eye opener for some people because they just feel like, oh, there isn't this really complex Rubik's Cube of behavior issues I need to teach. I just need to manage the dog. Yeah. Yeah. You've mentioned something that I think is is really interesting and, and a pressure we all feel that we want our friends and neighbors and just strangers out and about to think, you know, we're good. We're good with our dog. We've got them under control. We're, which is a, <laughs> you know, I mean, they, they have to be under control, but I mean, nice control. Um, when we're out and about. So we want that admiration and we need to be. I always think we, every time we step out with our dogs, we need to be the best ambassador we can be for dog ownership. So I do agree with that. But that, that kind of doing the heels and the stays and the, you know, walking nicely with us, that's for our benefit in the main. But one of the things you say, which I love is, we need to, to teach them how to be resilient and less stressed and cope with the outside. Well, or we need to set situations that sort of don't stress them. But we need somehow to, to help them be 
happy in, in, in our world, don't we? Right. And that doesn't come it doesn't come we uh, it, there are, are there some wares that w- we classify as basic obedience and i hate the word obedience but basic cues like our sits and our our task oriented training mm. does that come in handy in some respects yes you know it, it can make a big difference that my dog knows how to downstay when i take him out in public but um that shouldn't to me come afterwards Mm. the task training comes afterwards you know for me i look at it with the same with my five-year-old right now it's really important that my five-year-old is comfortable interacting with people that she's comfortable with social cues saying please and thank you um you know knowing how to um you know move uh, open a door for somebody doing those kinds of social and and real world life skills right those to me are much more important than her solving algebra problems right (laughs) yes yeah and i think it's the same thing with dogs is it's more important to me that my dog feels comfortable um, with the sound of shopping carts going by or being left alone for a brief period of time or um, looking to me when they're conflicted instead of making decisions that aren't necessarily healthy. For example, a dog that you know wants to react to other dogs on leash. I'd like to teach that dog when you see dogs, do this with me instead. And, and then the task stuff can come later, yeah. right? The sits and the downs and the heel. And if that dog, I mean, go back to Beagle's, wants to even do those sorts of things. Um, you know, good luck teaching a, you know, a basset hound to have a perfect performance heel. I mean, I'm sure there are some basset hounds out there, but the average basset hound is like, why are we doing this? Yes. (laughs) You know? Um, And so you just have to, you have to change your perspective of what you're teaching. Um, You know, the, the, resiliency and coping skills and comfort in the world and social cues are much more important than solving algebra problems. Absolutely. Absolutely. I I used to, in another life, I used to be a teacher years ago um, and I hated school. And I always thought with the children I taught that they have to be happy. They have to be, you know, at least content to come into school and and sit at the the, the tables and, and be there. You know, if they're sitting there crying, I can't teach them anything. Right. You know, and it's the same with our dogs. If they're actually all, you know, miserable. Yes. Yeah. Do you know, I saw yesterday, I saw, um, we, we took our, our car to the garage early in the morning and I always look at all the dog walkers early in the morning and, and sort of with interest. But the one guy was, I just noticed that he was offering the dog a treat and they were at the edge of the, of the road and they crossed the road and they were on the sort of island in the middle. And, he was still giving the dog a treat and sort of interacting with the dog really nicely. And then he stepped forward and the dog was really pulling back. So he just waited. And obviously yeah. the dog wasn't happy around the, tra- the uh, traffic and the owner was helping him become more more confident. And he was giving him the time and space and, and reassurance and reward, you know, and setting him up. And it was lovely to see that he was taking that time. It wasn't like, come on, we've got to get around this and get back home and I've got to get to work, which may have been the situation. But he was really giving that dog the support he needed. And that's that's what we've got to do, isn't it? Right. Just like our kids. Yes. Yeah. You know, just like our kids. It's, it's you know, dogs are incredibly sentient, emotional incredibly capable beings just like you were saying earlier that we've created them to be so adaptable and biddable to us and and check in with us and you know we can't create that and then deny it when they need our help 
mm-hmm. because it's inconvenient for us, right? We can't create these incredibly emotional, sentient beings that want or need us. And then when we they do need us, say, this is inconvenient for me. You need to just get over this and let's go. It, it doesn't work that way. So we have to be willing to take that time like that, like this person that you saw yeah. was doing. Yeah, yeah. It's uh, and it, it's not easy, and it is um, well, it's time consuming, and it's energy consuming, and you have to think and plan. But it's we owe it to them, don't they? Because I mean, I always think we're we, they make us the center of their world, and they just ask to be a little bit of our world in return. Yeah, I mean, why? It's a they're a privilege. They're, having yes. a dog is not a right. So, and and again, that's I think something that's really changed our mentally mental that we have to change our expectations and have a reality check that you know you're not owed a dog. A dog is is a privilege that you go out and accept that responsibility. And so when you accept that responsibility and you've said, okay, this dog is now going to share its entire world and life with me, I owe it that in order to have, um, you know, the best quality of life it can possibly have. And whether that means that it ends up being a dog that, you know, spends more time at home laying on the couch and enjoying that, or a dog that you have to get active and do sports with, that's that's the the part of the contract that you've, you know, signed by bringing this animal into your home. Yeah, definitely. It's got to be not just sort of, I want a dog. It's right. It's what can I do for the dog, isn't it? Can I give the dog, can I meet their needs, like you've said? Right. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Um, as I say, I loved that your post and I thought, right, I really, really want to talk to you about it. And it's been great to explore that with you because there was so much in it to unpack. Is there, obviously there, <laughs> there's so much to say, but we've got to um, stick to time. Is there anything else that you'd like to say? My, my most important thing that I wish more people would do is do research. Even if, if you, before you have your dog, do research. But even if you have a dog now and it's a specific purebred dog, um, or even a mix of certain dogs, right? If we, with all the genetic testing, read the history and the true ethology of where these breeds came from and what they were purposely bred for. It opens your brain to understanding that maybe your dog isn't doing certain behaviors because they're quote unquote naughty or mm. because, or things that you don't understand. It it really will bring you a totally new respect and understanding of the animal that's in your living room. Um, and the more that we do that proactively and the more we encourage people proactively to do that prior to getting an animal or a dog, understanding where that dog's genetics, history and ethology came from, we will be hopefully slowing down the influx of um, the crisis, the behavior crisis that we're seeing now of people giving up dogs, not understanding their dogs, dogs developing much more potent aggression and reactivity because of this misunderstanding that's going on. So more proactive research by humans would make a big difference. Yeah, definitely, definitely. I, I couldn't agree more. I mean, I I love short-haired Athletic looking, sporty looking dog. I mean, Labradors, uh, Vibranas, um, Pointers. But I know now, I mean, when I had my Labrador 20 years ago, that he was the perfect dog for me. I know now that perhaps wouldn't be such a good fit. You know, it would be harder right. for me to, to meet those needs. So I will choose a different dog. But I think one of the things we fall into is I love the look of that dog. Yes, the aesthetic. Mm, yes. Yeah. Yeah. Because it's, it's an aesthetic, right? I mean, 
there, there's always going to be that part. But my, what I've really done with a lot of clients when they come to me and they're like, I, mean, I really want my help picking my next dog. And I say, okay, let's write all the big things down for you. Do you need a dog that needs, you know, six hours of exercise a day and all of that? <laughs> and then when I show them the dog, the, the picture of the dog that really fits their needs. And they're like, oh, that's not what I was thinking. I said, well, it doesn't matter because on paper, this is what you're looking for. So you have to get rid of the idea. Well, I've always had this or I like the look of this. It's going to have to shift. And even myself, I've had to do that as well. You know, I was a huge German shepherd. I'm a, I'm a, I love German shepherds. Mm. I love the, the shepherdy breeds, you know, all of that. But when I went to do more work, I really needed a, a dog with less drive. And that's where my collies came in. And at first I really wasn't interested in these long noses, this heavy coat, <laughs> but they fit on paper exactly what I was looking for. And now I, I can't imagine having, not having them. So yeah. start look beyond the aesthetic. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And um, that's brilliant. Where can people find out more about you online? Oh, well, just look me up online at nomonkeybusinessdogtraining.com. Um, or you can look at um, No Monkey Business Dog Training LLC on Facebook or Instagram. Um, I'm terrible. I haven't gotten TikTok yet. I'm, I'm too old. I, but So Facebook <laughs> and Instagram, you find me on there and then my website as well. Smashing. That's been great. I've really enjoyed that, Helen. Thank you very much and all the best for the future. Thank you so much. Wasn't that great? Thanks to Helen. So much to think about there and some fantastic ideas for easy, small changes we can make that will really boost our dog's quality of life. We have the links, which Helen mentioned, on our website at dogcastradio.com. Also, I want pizza now. But before I can get pizza, let's talk about some dog news. In the last podcast, we were talking to Tony Shelbourne about dogs who have trouble sleeping. But a new survey came out recently about dogs' effect on human sleep. And according to scientists at Lincoln Memorial University in America, pets offer a sense of security and companionship that may relax owners, but results clearly showed they worsened sleeping quality overall. Dog owners were shown to have more trouble with sleeping, sleeping disorders, sleep apnea, feeling unrested, feeling sleepy, not getting enough sleep, needing pills to sleep and having leg jerks compared to non-dog owners. Wow, that's enough to keep you awake at night worrying. If you share your bed or bedroom with your dog, how do you rate your quality of sleep? I also saw another story about a Labrador in Cincinnati, Ohio, who escaped from daycare in just 20 minutes. Now, apparently the daycare expelled the dog. And my reaction was that as the dog owner, I would be demanding answers as to why they didn't have a truly dog-proof fence, rather than blaming the dog. What's your take on that? It reminded me that years ago, In the late 1980s, my mum and I took her German Shepherd to a training class and he was expelled. They really asked us not to go back. Thank goodness dog training has moved on since then because I'd like to think that nowadays we'd have been redirected to the puppy class or given one-to-one sessions because he was just a very lively puppy. Have you ever been expelled from a training class or daycare or any dog service? Well, right now, You're about to be expelled from Doncast Radio because that's all we have time for this time. But your expulsion is only temporary until we return next time. So until then, look after yourselves and your dogs. Thanks for listening to Dogcast Radio, available from www.dogcastradio.com. 
radiocast.com. That's D-O-G-C-A-S-T radio.com. If you'd like to get in touch with us, and wherever you are in the world, we'd love to hear from you. You can do so in a variety of ways. You can contact us on Skype with the ident dogcast radio. That's all one word, dogcast radio. By email, you can contact me on julie at dogcastradio.com. When contacting us by email, if you have the facilities, please record your questions or comments and send them to us as an audio file. That way we can include them directly in our programme. We can accept most formats, for example, WAV, MP3. All these methods of contacting us can be found on our website, which is www.dogcastradio.com. And as ever, the final word goes to Jenny. It's not Jenny. The joke this time is brought to you by Laura, who is one of our top fans on Facebook. Thanks, Laura. Over to you. What do you call a dog that can do magic? A labracadabrador.